Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, What Makes Us Awesome Friends? And it is part of the Awesome Friendships Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or you can send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. I hope you will, uh, I hope you will uh, pay attention to the music and the songs and uh, write them down, listen to them during the week. God uses songs to, to speak to us. God uses songs to, in, to instruct us. God uses music to, to, um, to encourage us, to challenge us. In fact, uh, there's a whole book in the Bible that's all songs. That's how, that's how highly God values songs. And songs are great things to share. You know how we, I know we, as friends, we share scriptures with one another. And it's also great to share songs with one another. I do that with my friends. Hey, have you heard this song? And I'll, I'll send them a link to a song. You got to listen to this song because uh, it's so important. Um, we're we're uh, on our friendship series, and, and uh, I'm really. Uh, feel like God's speaking to my heart about this, and I hope he is yours too. Last week, I really tried to say that the most important transformation and the way people get positioned for greatness in the world is because God gives them someone who loves them at a friendship level. God gives them awesome friendship love. Is the, that's how we get positioned to be what we're intended to be. Uh, to make that point, I use the story of Jonathan and David to talk about how Jonathan's sacrificial and awesome friendship saved, literally saved David's life and saved him for the assignment that he was called to do. I don't think there had been a Jonathan, there would have been a David. And uh, also I'll use the story of Apostle Paul, the greatest agent of change in the world and outside of Jesus Christ, in my opinion, was the Apostle Paul. And uh, many sociologists agree with me. And uh, he had two friends, one named Ananias, who laid hands on him when he had scales on his eyes and healed him of blindness and introduced him to the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with the Spirit. And then Barnabas, who took him and introduced him to the church. And this greatest influence in the history of the human race wouldn't have gotten out of the gates to start its prolific ministry if not for two relatively unknown people who extended to him the awesome of friendship love. I broke down for you that the qualities of their awesome friendship as being a sacrificer, a defender, and a releaser. The three things you will be, that these, these, these are deep underlying principles of friendship, of awesome friendship, that you, that you sacrifice, you defend, and you release. Jonathan sacrificed his position as the number one position to, to, to receive the throne from his father. And he defended David to his father when his father was bad-mouthing him and talking bad about him. And then he released him to go so he could be saved for the kingdom. He let him go. He wept, but he released him. That's what great, awesome friendships do. We don't hold on to one another. We, we, another form of releasing people is you let them be themselves. You don't try to make them like you or conform them to your image. You, make, you let your friends be themselves. Friendship love doesn't get a lot of headlines in the world. You know that? C.S. Lewis said it this way. 
and his excellent, I'll be referring to the, uh, several quotes from Lewis today because I read his essay on, re, I reread, I'd read it years ago, but this week I reread his essay on friendship, which is found in the book, The Four Loves, and, and a great book. Everybody, you ought to read that book, The Four Loves. And he, one of the chapters is an essay on the love of friendship. Phileo is the Greek word for love there. He says this, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all the loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. Tim Keller, I also listened to a wonderful sermon by Tim Keller on friendship. I'll be ripping him off a little bit this morning, too. Individualistic culture, Tim says, features erotic love. We live in a very individualistic culture. Traditional culture, family love. Socialist culture, civic love. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, we do not biologically, physically, or financially need friendship. It has least commerce with our nerves. There's nothing throaty about it, nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. It is essentially between individuals. The moment two men are friends, they have in some degree drawn apart together from the herd. Without Eros, none of us would have been begotten. And without affection, none of us would have been reared. But we can live and breed without friendship. The species, biologically considered, has no need of it. The pack or the herd, the community, may even dislike and distrust it. Its leaders very often do. Headmasters and headmistresses and heads of religious communities, colonels and ship captains can feel uneasy when close and strong friendships arise between little knots of their subjects. Every leader knows that's true. Modern culture doesn't, you know, modern culture doesn't want to know about who's friends with who. You, you don't, the National Enquirer hasn't built its vast reputation or, or, or success on who's friends with who. They've built it on who's sleeping with who. <laughs> right? <laughs> Keller makes the point. Stack all the romantic love songs up, back when we, you had CDs. Stack all the friendship, uh, stack all the, all the songs about romantic love, and, you, and, and then stack beside him all the songs you've heard about friendship. The erotic and romantic love is going to be a much larger stack, right? C.S. Lewis goes on to say in his essay, it could be argued that friendships are of practical value, though, to the community. Every civilized religion began in a small group of friends. Mathematics effectively began when a few Greek friends got together to talk about numbers and lines and angles. So today, I want to talk to you about what makes us awesome friends to one another. Not at that deep principle level that we talked about last week, but the everyday practical level. Proverbs 18.24 is not in your notes, but it's a famous verse. And I think somebody, I think Jason quoted a few minutes ago, um, the King James Bible says, he that, must friend, he that hath friends must show himself friendly, but there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that's a very interesting verse. You'll see in other translations, it's translated this way. The NIV, I believe, and other translations translate it as something like this. Of man of many companions comes to ruin. 
but there is a friend that, sticketh clo- that's, that, that, that stays closer than a brother. So why did, they, why did they change the translation? Well, because the translators realized that part of the message of that verse was that if you don't have deep friendships that will stick with you when hard times come, you won't survive. In fact, friendship love is ultimately more, more important than family love. Family love is there because they, they're stuck with you, and friendships, friends are there because they really like you. But, but that verse also has instructions about how to, how to be attractive and how to be a person who makes friends. Because it's really, it's really not teaching us that we should not have superficial friendships. It's really not teaching us that. It's teaching us that there are, that, that, that there, that there are two separate components of friendship. One is being friendly. One is in the skills of being with a person and being enjoyable to another person. And there's another dimension of friendship, which is loyalty, which means you will be there when the chips are down. And he's saying that if you only have friends that are superficial, if you only have friends that you have fun with, if you only have friends that you have enjoyment with, if you only have friends that you have superficial fun with, then they won't, you, you won't survive because you need something more. It doesn't mean that's not important. I want to make that point very clearly today. It doesn't mean that's more important because we want to talk about that first dimension of friendship today. And I want to go to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. He who is full, full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from the earnest counsel, his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. The prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, Proverbs is an interesting book, right? It's a book of wisdom. Wisdom, what is wisdom? Wisdom is, is that thing that tells you what to do when there's no rule for what to do. And so he covers a lot of subjects here, but interweaved, what he's talking about is relationships. In this entire passage, he's talking about the nature of relationships. So I want to talk about the, the, the components, what 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 makes us awesome friends. What will make you an awesome friend? That We established last week that this was something that God has called us to be as awesome friends. Well, let's look at the first verse there. Verse 10. 
Do not forsake your friend. This is not the first verse in everything I read, but it's the first one I want to talk about today. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Now, I want to talk about really what is the genesis of friendship. What is it established on? At first glance, it might appear that friendship is about disasters. But that's not true. Because the friendship existed before the disaster. We all have disasters in our life. There's natural disasters, floods and storms and hurricanes. There's physical disasters and sickness and, 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 and health problems. There's relational disasters, and relational disasters are the most common inside of an organization. Someone hurts you, offends you, makes you angry, or lets you down. Awesome friendships can be discovered in those times of trauma, but awesome friendships are not forged by trauma. Awesome friendships are not formed by disasters. That's the mistake that we sometimes make, is we think that disasters and trauma and difficulty is what forges deep friendships. But that's not the case. In fact, that can be very dysfunctional. Interest and enjoyment is what discovers friendship. It's what creates friendship. You are wired to, to come together with people that you share interest and enjoyment with. You're wired to come together with people that you have fun with. That's how God created you. Nietzsche said something that I think is very interesting about relationships that are established merely around crisis and trauma. He said, helping and caring for others, being of use to others, constantly excites a sense of power. Friendships are not about power. Friendships are about equality. Friendships are about mutuality. Friendships are about being a peer, walking alongside one another. Friendship is not the, 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 the act of lovers who look into one another's eyes, nor, it is, nor is it the act of authority and, and servant who look down or up at one another, but it's men or women who walk side by side. Adversity and calamity will test an awesome friendship because trouble and disappointment and pain is not what an awesome friendship is about. The genesis of awesome friendship is interest and enjoyment. There's passion that becomes projects. Some of you are passionate about certain types of projects and Great friendships get formed around working on those projects. There's music. There's nature. There's food. There's books. There's philosophy. There's creativity. There's beauty. This week, I, I, I talked to a friend for over half an hour about passages of Scripture that excite both of us in biblical doctrine that excites us because for me, that's fun. That's how I have fun. Talking about doctrine, biblical doctrine, man. It, it doesn't get any better than that, huh? 
There's games to be played. Consider this from that C.S. Lewis essay that I referred to already. The typical expressions of opening friendships would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Until that moment, an individual understands that matter to be his or his own unique interest or burden. But once commonality is uncovered, the friend is revealed as a fellow traveler, one who walks in the same direction. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. For the truthful answer is to the question, do you see the same truth? If it would, if it would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth, I only want a friend, no friendship can arise. C.S. Lewis says, I only want a friend, no friendship can arise. Though affection, of course, may, there would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something. Even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. (laughs) He lived in some weird times. (laughs) Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. It's... It, it's, you know, it's very spiritually sounding to say things like, um, well, we just want our life to be about mending broken people. That sounds very spiritual. And truly, we must remain dedicated to helping the needy, and nobody's arguing against that to you today, okay? But you need some people in your life in which the glue that holds you together is not brokenness. I said, you need some people in in your life that the glue that holds you together is not trauma and brokenness and pain and suffering. There's going to be plenty of pain and suffering. If you need that, it'll come. (laughs) There's going to be plenty of disappointment. And there's going to be plenty of times that you're going to really need a friend who was there with you during the laughter who stays with you during the pain. But a great friendship says, let's get through the pain so we can get back to what the friendship was really about. Let's get through this situation. I think the enemy takes advantage of some of us because we're attracted. When you become a Christian and you give your heart to Christ, you get filled with the Spirit, you do become attracted to brokenness. Because that's the whole message of the, that's not the whole message, pardon me. That's a great part of the message of the gospel, is that Jesus Christ came and was attracted to our brokenness. But you know what? He wasn't just attracted to our brokenness. That's a mistake. He wasn't just attracted to our, 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 our sinful condition. He was attracted to us. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He wanted to get back to hanging out with us and having fellowship with us. In fact, he's like, let's get the sin under the blood so you and I can talk again. So you and I can enjoy life again. So we can enjoy sunsets together. We can sit on the beach together and talk. I've had great talks with God sitting on, on the jetty at the beach watching the waves come in. I've had great talks with God. God's about let's get back to, let's get back to being friends again. So let's get that sin problem taken care of because that's what got between us. That's how great friendships are. God healed a broken world so he could walk with humans in a beautiful garden. 
You think about that for a minute. God didn't show up to Adam and Eve and say, we got to go find some more broken, dark, and formless worlds. That was, that, was, that was such a powerful moment when I spoke into the darkness and created this beautiful world. Let's go, let's go find some more dark worlds. No, no, no. He said, let's enjoy this beautiful world that I've created. And I'm going to meet with you. I don't know exactly what happened, but I kind of feel like every afternoon God, and took, God came and took a walk with his humans. God came and took a walk with Adam and Eve. And they talked about the beauty. And they talked, I don't know what all they might have talked about. But it was a friendship. Abraham was called a friend of God. God healed a broken world. Uh, Ecclesiastes, let me give you a few verses about enjoyment. Because I know this is, this is, this is something that hasn't been preached about in the church. I've never heard a sermon on it. I've never heard about anybody talking about enjoying one another. I've never heard anybody talk about that that was a holy thing. That God has called us to. If it's not a holy thing, why did God give his, his, his people seven festivals that they were commanded to engage in every year? And one, every one of those festivals had elements of joy and dancing and celebration. Ecclesiastes 8.15, so I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better. Acts 2.46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Ecclesiastes 2.25, without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? 1 Timothy 6.17, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Jacques Pangsep is a, is a PhD who's done extensive studying of emotional systems in mammals. And uh, partly by experimenting with rats, the little rats, he discovered the play circuit that's in mammals. That mammals have a play circuit, and it's in, in every animal. You, you've watched, watch animals, and, and not just, you know, watch all those cute cat videos, you know? And they're all about animals being playful. Well, not all of them, a bit different things, but many of them are. Uh, the, the, he, he discovered that, that little rats would work in order to get to go play. They would, do, they would follow commands, pull levers, do all sorts of things in order to get to go play with other rats and wrestle and play wrestle. And In fact, one, one experiment he did, he found that the, a little rat with an older rat, if the older rat didn't let the younger rat, little rat, win... The wrestling matches, at least 30% of the time, the little rat would stop wrestling. He wouldn't play anymore because he had to be allowed to win part of the time. That's an amazing thing, friends. In fact, let me read to you what, what, what pen, pens, Pangsep, if I can say that, I always want to, to say it wrong, but P-A-N-K-S-E-P-P. Let me read to you what he said. Young children, like most immature mammals, have robust urges for physical play which naturally leads to chasing, romping, and wrestling accompanied routinely by joyous shrieking and laughter. Social play networks have been well studied in animals and they promote adaptive socialization, acquisition of many social skills not genetically coded within the brain. Social skills, social play can reduce adult irritability 
and promotes pro-social attitudes via learning and molding of other emotional systems. The emotion powerhouse closely linked to seeking, de- seeking play deserves cultivation and attention by parents and society in order to reduce mental health problems such as childhood ADHD and adult depression. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's more to getting inner healing than coming down and having the pastor and the elders pray for you. You need to play. You are designed by God to play. Turn to your neighbor and say, play. One day, you know, I had had heard someone talking about that experiment, and I, I went and read it to read it to you today. But I became aware of it, and so... Oh, uh, it was, I believe it was last Christmas, the family came over, and I decided I was going to see how long Eden would wrestle with me. And I'm telling you, a a three-year-old will defeat you. (laughs) You will not, I'm I'm not kidding, you will not be able to outlast a three-year-old when it comes to rough and tumble play. And, I, and I, I began to wrestle with him, and it, I counted, it was three hours. We wrestled on and off for three hours, and he was still begging me, get on top of me, Pop. If you want to read more about this, this is very, very interesting. And, 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 I'm, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm trying to be sexist here at all, but it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons you, you need to get uh, one of the reasons, let me say it this way, one of the reasons for the importance of fathers in the lives of children, because fathers, we just tend to do more of this. I mean, I'm not being sexist when I say it. We just tend to throw kids around. <laughs> I mean, I, I did it to a little Ellie the other night. I started throwing her up, not too far, just her head was like that far from the ceiling when I... <laughs> and she would laugh, man. She just, she just couldn't control her laughter. Do you think God wired us this way? God wired us this way. I find it interesting that Jesus was kid-friendly. And when his critics wanted to criticize him, you know what they picked on? His very active social life. That's what they picked on when they wanted to criticize Jesus. They picked on his active social life. Have, you want to be like Jesus? Have somebody over for dinner. Amen. Turn to your neighbor say, have someone over for dinner. Emerson said, Ralph Waldo Emerson also read an essay of his on friendship. He said, do you love me means do you see the same truth, or at least do you care about the same truth? I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm not talking about play anymore, by the way. Or at least do you care about this? The man who agrees with us that some question, little regarded by others as of great importance, can be our friend. He need not agree with us about the answer. We're wired. We're wired to enjoy each other. You know, I don't know if uh, Chris Mills, you're here. Chris is here. Chris invited me over the day to dedicate his business. And he's got, he has a business. What's it? uh, Describe it quickly because I'm going to screw it all up. Comics and gaming store, okay? And and, and I went in there, and all these people were there, and they were enjoying one another so much. 
They were enjoying being together. And so there was something about that. And I know there's, there's probably some dark stuff in the gaming world, and somebody's going to be upset with me today. And don't you know there's demonic powers? I, I don't know. I don't know, friends. I, I, life is too tedious for me already w- without worrying about demons behind every bush. Okay? So just send your text message or email to somebody else. Because... <laughs> I just, I just don't have time for it. I mean, I, I, I've got to pray about politics. <laughs> but, but I was struck, Chris, by, by the, by the fellowship and and, and girlship too. There, there was some ladyship there too. <laughs> I was struck by that. I was struck by the community of people playing games. And partly because I'm studying this, I realize this is not something to be critical of. This is not something, it may not be your thing. It's, I probably won't be back over there playing Dungeons and Dragons with you guys. I just, I hate to disappoint you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not my thing, all right? I like to talk about theology. <laughs> but God wired us to enjoy life. And I know somebody's saying, oh, Pastor, but there's so many serious and horrible things going on in the world. How can we stop and enjoy it? I don't know. I don't know why God doesn't make me worry about the problems of the world 24-7. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that he wants to be God. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that he doesn't want me to try to fix the world all the time. Maybe, that's, maybe that wasn't his, ever his plan or ever his design. Maybe he said, I am the Lord God. I change not for a reason. And he knows that if I love him, he can tap me on the shoulder and say, it's time to get serious. He knows he can say, stop playing. You've played long enough. Or in the middle of play, he can say, you need to carry a burden I think he can. Let's, let me look at right now at the three C's of awesome friendship. Three C's of awesome friendship. We go to verse 14. It says, if a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day, restraining hers, restraining the wind or grasping oil with a hand. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I know there's that verse in the middle there that seems to be about marriage, but I think it's all about friendships and about relationships. Why does it talk about greeting someone loudly in the morning? Well, it's talking about a person who is emotionally disconnected, that they don't notice you well enough or know you well enough to realize you're not a morning person. Proverbs 25.20 makes a similar point when it says, like one who who takes away a garment in a cold day or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. In other words, you have someone in your life who doesn't notice that you're sad. They're not a noticer. They can be happy. If you have someone in your life who can be happy when you're sad, they're not an awesome friend. Awesome friends can't be happy when their friends are sad. To be an awesome friend, you just can't. When your friend is sad, you are sad because of that. Two of the three C's will address this in a minute. We'll get to that in just a few seconds. Now, why does the proverb mention the quarrelsome wife? 
it, 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 it typifies the quarrelsome wife. Let's just say he wants us to know about quarrelsome people. And he, and he says that it's like a, a, it's like a drip. It's, it's better to live in the corner of a house than with a quarrelsome wife. It's like a constant drip that won't stop. What, what is a quarrelsome person like? A quarrelsome person is someone who cannot do anything without a fuss. You cannot do anything without a fuss. Psychologists call them crazy makers. Everything has to be a fuss. I, I read a, 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 a kind of a sort of an essay by a woman called Confessions of a Quarrelsome Wife. <laughs> and she said, she told the story of going out to dinner and how she nearly ruined the evening because her husband took the longer route to the restaurant instead of the shorter route to the restaurant. When you're a quarrelsome person, you're always, every situation you find out what, is, what could be better, what could be done more right. And it's, it, it, it makes us not an awesome friend. It, it may, it, you know, it, it, why, why do people, why are we like that? Why are, why are some of us like that? Because it protects us from intimacy. I think that's the number one reason. It protects us from feeling tender to always have a problem with something. Some people are like that in, in church congregations. As you see them walk into the service and you know something's wrong every Sunday. How, how could you keep going to a church that has this many things wrong with it? Why do you come to a church that has so much wrong with it that every Sunday you walk, you drive home telling the person sitting in the seat next to you, do you see what they did today? Did, did you see, did you hear, they, did you hear that song today? Did you, do you know what the pastor said? Do you hear what the pastor said today? Did you see those greeters today? Did you see the ones that didn't greet me today? Ah. You're a crazy maker. <laughs> awesome friends are three things. Curious. They're curious about your life. They're curious about life, period. That's why, that's why they become interesting people and great friends, because they have something out there in the world that they're curious about. They have something that they're curious about. You know... How can anyone follow James Jim Dayon on Facebook and not realize that this is a man who's curious about wildlife? He's posed with more animals than anyone in this church in the last two years. Snakes, frogs, what else? I mean, lizards, fish, all kinds of fish. He's curious about something. I like that. That's part of what a great friend is. A great friend is someone who's interested in something. And the way you have a friendship is you share that interest. I guess, I guess we might be better friends if you... But you have an interest in golf so we, we, and the Patriots, and we get together on that, those two things. But, you know, here's a cool thing. It's, even if we don't share an interest about nature or we don't share an interest about... Uh, football or whatever, you can have a great friendship being interested in God and being interested in Christ and being interested in spiritual things, 
Some of my best friendships are with people is we have a mutual interest in spiritual things. We have a mutual interest in being the people that God has called us to be. What a great focus for a friendship. Awesome friends are curious about you. They want to know how you're doing. They want to know what's going they on. They're curious about how you're feeling. The second C is they're careful. That's what we were talking about a minute ago. I'm talking about those verses about someone who greets you loudly in the morning. <laughs> if, if you can greet loudly in the morning if coffee's in front of you and you're handing them your cup of coffee. <laughs> you're you become careful to notice, careful with feelings, careful with people's future. You become a person who's careful with them. We need our awesome friendships to, be, to have a great measure of tenderness. But then there's the thing that balances it. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The third C is candid. You have... When you need to be honest, you can be. Hiding the truth, in fact, he says, is parallel to the work of an enemy. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The book of wisdom that we're reading from today was centered on the wisdom of God, and the whole purpose of God is to tell us what humans think, then tell us what God thinks. I don't believe a serious Christ follower can have the most awesome relationship possible where there's no pursuit of the mind and will of God. The reason friendship is hard is because we have to constantly live in that tension between carefulness and candor. Awesome friendships are the ones who do both. Awesome friendships are the ones who have both candor and carefulness at the same time. I've told a few times about some friendships, that one particular friendship that I had that challenged me a few years ago. As I was talking one day in, in their, in, in their uh, uh, presence, and one of those men challenged me and said, Phil, you're angry. You need to change. That was great advice. That, that's the same friend that said to me when I was diagnosed with cancer, Instead of giving me a whole lot of pity, in fact, I thought they could have done a little better, <laughs> a pity department that day. As we, we met it, we were, in those days, we were meeting at Cracker Barrel every two weeks, and I walked in, and I, I gave them the news, and one of them smiled and said, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. That's a good friend who tells you that. And it's a good friend who, who says, I feel bad as well. But it's also a good friend who says, there's going to be a bright side to this. God's going to use this, and he has. Let's close with talking about the proof of awesome friendships. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. According to Proverbs 25.17, an awesome friendship makes me sharper. We need to have fun. We need to have fun. That's a part of being a friend. And I, and I challenge you to develop your play system. And find out something that's fun and something you enjoy and find people to enjoy it with. That's an important part of being a Christian and being a spiritual person. 
But, but relationships ultimately are not judged by how fun they are. Ultimately, relationships are judged by how much fruit they produce in my life. What kind of person do I become because I spend time with you? And what kind of person do you come because, become because you spend time with me? When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be misled, bad company corrupts good character, he was warning the Corinthians about rejecting the doctrine of the resurrection. There were a group of Corinthians who were starting to question the doctrine of the resurrection. What is interesting to me is he doesn't blame their drifting into false doctrine on engaging in bad thinking or bad analysis or, the, or, or, or people who weren't theologically uh, astute. He doesn't blame it on bad thinking or bad analysis but on hanging out with bad people. He's saying your relationships will, will decide your doctrine. Your relationships will decide your, your doctrine. Who you hang out with is what will ultimately decide what you believe. You are not strong enough to have intimate friendships without having your thinking shaped by those intimate friendships. And I, and I want to say to you parents here today, if you really love your children and you're serious about wanting them to be great people, you must care about their community of friends. It is, it is probably the most important, certainly the top three important behaviors of a, of, of a, of a caring and loving parent is to be involved in your child's choice of friends. Amen? Back to this thought of loving and or, or being influenced. If you used to love everybody and see all the good in everybody, but now you don't, it's probably because you're spending time with someone who's bad for you. If you, if you stopped abusing substances, but now you started up again, it's probably because you're spending time with someone who's bad for you. If you used to love God, but now you don't, it's probably because you're spending time with someone who's bad for you. Paul said to the Galatians, not what has changed you, but who? Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? If you were once soft, but you've grown hardened, it's probably because you're spending time with someone who's bad for you. If once you had good, solid self-worth, but now you're always down on yourself, it's probably because you're spending time with someone who's bad for you. Tim Keller explains that most of us don't have all the true friends our hearts desire. Because it's hard. Developing awesome friendships is, is, is hard work. Also because of the mobility of our contemporary society, people move away today like never before. Um, plus the daily commute. When you have a, a two-hour commute every day, which many, some of you do, it's, it's a challenge to find time for friendships. But society, when, 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 when Solomon wrote the Proverbs, 
society was much more stable. It, you notice he talks about, uh, he, the text that I read to you earlier refers to not forsaking the friend of your father. That meant you lived in a very stable community. <laughs> if your father's friends were still around for you to know and care about, I, th- there's probably not three people in this room who have connection with, with their father's friends here today in this room. So we're in a much more unstable in, society. So friendships are more challenging now. But then the third reason that Keller gives, and he confesses, I don't have all the friends my heart desires because I haven't always been a great friend. I read that and said, ouch. Because I know that's true. But there's two great attributes of Christ available today for you and I that I want to close by talking to you about. One is Christ is a forgiver. Two, Christ is a mentor. And Jesus, the night before he died, or the night before he was arrested and would be crucified, he identified his disciples as his friends. And he said in chapter, John chapter 14, verse 6, Greater love has no man than he who would lay down his life for his friends. So go to Christ today, and number one, he will forgive you for your failures as a friend. That's so important, but sometimes we get our forgiveness and we run out of God's presence too quick because we got what we went for. We want to to not feel so guilty. And he's glad to make you feel less guilty because he doesn't like shame either. But stick around in God's presence. He doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants to mentor you. Christ would like to instruct you and teach you and show you by having you study his life how to be an awesome friend. So don't just ask Christ to be your forgiver. Ask him to be your mentor. For he said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Christ will show you the way. Right now as we enter into his response time at Bethany, I want to ask you to engage. Our, we don't have prayer partners available today. But we do have communion available. And I'm here. I'll be glad to pray with you if you want someone to pray with you. But what, I think a great act of, of prayer would be to go receive communion. And what if, you, what if you take a friend and bring them with you and have communion with a friend today that might be in this place? Maybe some of you need to walk all the way across the room and say, come and have communion with me. Wouldn't that be a great way to, to put the icing on the cake? for this sermon and this message and this thing this hopefully I believe is from God on being an awesome friend Father in Jesus name I pray God that where we may have failed to be the friend that we should have been and we all have failed and fallen short of your glory in this area and every other area forgive us today and cleanse us from that unrighteousness in our life God show us how to go forward show us where we could be an awesome friend and where we could build awesome friendships and see your work done, see more people attracted to the gospel, and see your glory come on the earth, and see your kingdom be built in the 21st century. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come and let's receive communion today, and let's pray together.